Today's Seinfeld post-show recap is sponsored by True Car. You know, there's something about True Car a lot of people don't know. Using True Car can help you buy a used car as well. In fact, there's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy a new or used car, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers discounts off the list price for used cars and a better buying experience through the True Car certified dealer network. You'll actually get to see what other people paid for the car that you want so you can know what a fair price is and you can feel confident. You don't need some sort of wizard organizer to calculate exactly the cost of the new car. Forget about that. Forget about the Willard 2. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick and easy car buying experience. And with True Car, you'll easily find the newer used car that you want. Best of all, True Car users have an average savings of over $3,000 off of MSRP. Morty Seinfeld, would love it when you're ready to buy that newer used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Seinfeld, the wizard is over and has been for quite some time. We're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now here's the guy on today's podcast who has less than one solarium. I'm Rob Sisternino here with special guest host Alexander Chester filling in for Kiev. Alex, how are you? I am excellent. Yeah. Two guys who are definitely not a Kiva Wienerker. No, we and are I, not. I apologize to the listeners. You know, sometimes you uh, order a wizard and you get a Willard. And sometimes <laughs> you uh, order a Wienerker and you get a Chester. So that's yeah. how it works. Okay. So um, this might be a little bit of a surprise to some of the listeners, uh, specifically people that do not listen like two hours into the podcast. Uh, I think when we laid out all of the details, uh, Akiva is traveling. He's on a uh, whirlwind trip around the globe where I'm not even sure where he is at this point maybe mexico uh let's be honest he's he's sitting in a hotel room on his laptop on the wi-fi whether the hotel is in america or mexico or wherever probably not outdoors (laughs) he's somewhere in a hotel room and so we missed an episode last week uh, which we hate to do we will make that one up eventually but now here sitting in for akiva is alexander chester akiva's co-host on the uh critically acclaimed 32 fans podcast 32 fans podcast that's right and it's uh 32 days until the nfl season so we are in the midst of previewing all 32 teams in the nfl and uh, we started a facebook group so if people want to join that although i guess this is the wrong podcast to be hyping that on but uh, we got over 100 members in about two weeks that's pretty good yeah and uh, a lot of lists from chester yeah i have a list today actually yes what was your new list my list is the uh top 10 akivas Okay, of all time? Yeah, in terms of their impact on my life. Okay. You know, personal friends of mine, etc. And where did Akiva Winokur uh, rank? Or is this a tease for to get people to join the group? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, oh I, I haven't posted it on the Facebook group. Should I post it on the Facebook group? Oh, okay. Oh, you have a list for today's or, or, or podcast? Or should I do it on the podcast? It's up to you. Oh, okay. Well, I guess uh, we'll give it to us uh, later on. Let's see how we're doing on time <laughs> as we get towards the, the back of the podcast. But we're here to talk about The Wizard today. And this is an episode where really Jerry and Kramer spend most of the episode down in Del Boca Vista. I think the, probably the last time we end up going down to Del Boca Vista in the nine season run of Seinfeld. Is that fair to say? Yep. 
And, you know, I always like when they go down there. So what we do see in the finale, I think we see people uh, getting in, you know, getting into their car, getting to the airport to come from Florida up to a for the for the court case. Yeah. But we do have so, Jerry down but there. Yeah, the this is the last time. time that the core four are headed down there. Yeah. And then we also have George meeting back up with the Rosses and Elaine trying to figure out if she is in an interracial relationship or not. So a lot of stuff yeah. going on here. No uh, one better to discuss that than a uh, two uh, white. Men, yes. So. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, we'll be, we'll be careful here uh, as we go through everything. So, Chester, are you uh, good? You feel like you're, you're you up for this? You think you can fill in Keeve's shoes today? Yeah, I have all the uh, usual bits. Uh, you know, we can start with Seinfeld news if you want. And, uh, oh, okay, can, uh, make yeah, our what way do you down. got? What do you got? Well, Seinfeld news is uh, I saw Jerry live in stand up a couple of weeks ago. Okay, how was that? So uh, he was very good. His opening act, uh, Carol Leifer, was uh, unfortunately not not so great. Yeah, so. why? What was the problem? <laughs> she just. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't, maybe she was a good comedian in the eighties, but the, the friend who I went with, we were sitting next to each other and it, literally every single joke as she did the setup, I would whisper in the punchline. And if I'm getting every single one, right. You know, that's not how jokes are supposed to work. Yeah. So they were just like really corny and dumb. Like, um, I'll give you an example. She's like, you know, we still live in, in such a sexist society. A friend of mine, she just got a new job this week. And the very first day her boss said, are you good at making a cup of coffee? pause so she walked right out of that starbucks it mm-hmm. was like stuff like that so okay but jerry came and saved the day jerry was very good <laughs> all right so my my seinfeld news is that jerry seinfeld is still good at stand-up jerry seinfeld still good at stand-up carol no. uh take. carol leifer <laughs> uh maybe not so much all right so chester this episode originally aired february 26 1998 do you remember when and where you were uh exactly on the night that this episode aired Yes, I was living in Toronto, Canada for uh, Toronto, Toronto, as the locals call it. Yeah. For my uh, for the final season of Seinfeld. And so I I watched it from the uh, the home where I live there in in Thornhill, actually. And this is honestly this is one of my favorite episodes. I really love any time they go down to uh, Del Boca Vista. It reminds me of my in-laws residence. They live in Boca Raton in a similar community with a bunch of, you know, insane, uh, you know, 65 year old uh, people who have nothing better to do but enforce stupid rules. And uh, so I, I really like it. It, uh, you know, it. it reminds me of going down there, which I like to do from time to time, like Jerry. You go down there for a couple days and then you get out of there before you uh, become crazy. Okay. So. Do you like the name of this episode, The Wizard? No. You know, we yeah. already Terrible have name. The Wiz uh, and uh, that shows. Uh, it, was that episode named The Wiz? No, this episode, it's really annoying when you're Googling it, trying to research about it. You keep finding stuff related to the other episode, The Wiz. And, and I think uh, one of our email writers, maybe it was Craig from Vancouver, also brings this point up. But it's it's a really bad name. It's really confusing. Um, the Wiz, I think the episode is called Junk Mail. Okay. But yeah, but that episode, because that's the one with Kramer with, you know, he's anti the mail campaign and, mm-hmm. and you know, he, he's got the, uh, the, the, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure why they called that one Junk Mail and uh, this one should not be called The Wizard. Uh, you know, what would, what would a better name for this episode be? It's tricky. I mean, Jerry really doesn't even have a plot other than he got his father, this organizer, which ends up just being sort of uh, not a major story. Elaine, uh, maybe you don't want to uh, touch the hot stove there (laughs) with what she has going on. The George, you know, has a house in the Hamptons, but we've already got an episode uh, with the Hamptons and uh, Kramer's retirement. I could you could call it the retirement. 
Yeah, he calls Morty the puppet master, but we already have a wig master, so mm-hmm. I don't know if the puppet master would work. So, yeah, I guess that... The, the election, the campaign, I don't know, yeah. something like would that. Would the wizard organizer help? Yeah, if, if it was the wizard organizer, you, yeah, you would remember which episode this is, because when you think of the wizard, you think of the wiz, for sure, in terms of Seinfeld lore. Um, I had sort of forgotten the uh, the wizard Willard thing in particular. I mean, I remember the storyline, but I didn't remember there was called the wizard, okay. per se, so... All right, well, let's dive into all of this from February 26th, uh, 1998, written by Steve Luckner. Uh Not a, a name that I'm familiar with. Yeah, I don't have any hot Luckner things. <laughs> all right, so uh, the episode starts off with uh, Jerry and George in the diner, and Jerry's talking about how he got this uh, pocket organizer, the wizard, for $200. Uh, Jerry cites a lot of the features that it can uh, complete during the course of the episode. He says it can do email. It can allegedly fax. I'm not sure how <laughs> that works out either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have mobile computing in 1998. Does Jerry sign his dad up for like a data plan? Did AT&T offer some kind of LTE service? Like there's no Wi-Fi in 1998. The only thing this could possibly do is you could plug it into your computer with a cord and you could transfer like Two emails from your computer onto this, I suppose. Yeah. I think this was the writers trying to use techie words without really knowing what they meant. Now, what can this do that the organizer that Elaine gets uh, back that the Russian writer throws oh. the window that beeps? So what is the difference between <laughs> this and that? That's a great call. I totally forgot about that. I think you're right, though, that it was probably similar, except that this episode was in the peak. Like, so as I said, this episode was, I was living in, in Toronto and I was in ninth grade or grade nine, as they call it there. And that year this was, and you're a little bit older, so I don't know we were in college at the time. Yeah, I but, was, uh, yeah, this was like a big thing. Like these pocket organizers, they, like everyone in my class was getting them. They cost like 50 or 60 bucks. Not hot. That was like the regular price. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody would get them. I don't know what the point of it was that you would beep. You could put your calendar on it. You put your contacts on it. Like, you know, your friends, because it was like right before people were getting cell phones. It was like this and then pagers and then cell phones was sort of the order. Um, so I remember it being popular. And so Seinfeld does get sort of right in the zeitgeist, at least where I was living at the time. Um, but yeah, but I don't know what it does. I, I, didn't, I was not one of the cool kids who got one in ninth grade. And you're right. I totally forgot that Seinfeld had a similar idea a few years earlier. And so I'm not sure what, you know, I don't understand why Jerry buys this for his dad. I don't know. By the way, his dad is going to be impressed that it's 50 bucks instead of 200. But like Morty thinks it's a tip calculator. 50 bucks isn't a good deal for a calculator. You can get a calculator for what? Five bucks. Well, I think that Morty feels like he's going to save a lot of money. So he's not over tipping. I think that that's the issue. So he can figure out his like 10% tip or 5% (laughs) tip and then just make sure that he's never going beyond that. So uh, yeah, but can he do that with a $5 calculator? I guess I he know. could. I don't know if they had like a small enough calculator or maybe, you know, <laughs> there's some sort of embarrassment of walking around with a calculator, but this isn't a calculator. This is a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess so. George got a message from uh, Susan's parents and he doesn't want anything to do with them. We never really quite find out what Susan's parents wanted to do with George. Do you know? Do you have any ideas about why they were trying to contact George? Well, they call him to invite him to an event that the foundation is going to be putting on that weekend. Why? They don't like him. Well, yeah. I don't know. Is it, oblig- is it obligatory? Now, do we know George is no longer on the board of the foundation, right? No, I'm not even sure. I think sure. when he left his, uh, his recording device in, the, in that uh, board meeting, I think 
they uh, asked him to leave after that. Yeah, that was it. And yeah. George uh, doesn't really uh, feel great about them. He says that he feels like that they always kind of blamed him for Susan's death, uh, which uh, Jerry mentions. Why? Because you picked out the envelope. <laughs> and this will come up again in Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, before the season's over. Okay. So here comes Elaine and she has a boyfriend, Daryl. And Daryl, uh, he is not Putty. She says that Putty's answering machine is broken, and that's why there's still no Putty. And Jerry says to her, oh, okay, uh, you're dating a black guy. What's the big deal? Now, there's going to be a lot of questions about what is the ethnicity of Daryl. I do think it was a bit presumptive on Jerry's part to just come out and uh, make that call. Yeah, and Jerry's the one who starts this whole thing because before that, Elaine doesn't even think it's it, it's it's an issue, right? Elaine doesn't even seem to notice. She seems like yeah. surprised by the whole thing. And I was like, "What? What do you mean?" Yeah. So Jerry really causes the whole problem here, <laughs> right? I mean, the whole confusion, right? This is the inception where it's uh, first yeah. put out there as an a idea to Elaine, and she doesn't really know. And I think she's excited by it, though. Yeah. She's like, oh, really? Yeah. I think uh, that seems interesting. Uh, George says, I, I, I think he looked Irish. Now, <laughs> that I don't get. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I first met my now wife's parents, uh, after having mentioned that I did live in Canada for a year, she said to me, boy, he really looks like a Canadian. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know what that meant either. That's another one. So, yeah. Daryl looks more Canadian to me than African American. You that, that as a uh, Toronto uh, visitor, you can spot yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. George is the one, though. Even though he says that Daryl looks Irish, he is uh, the one who brings this up a couple times. Should we be talking about this? I don't think it's okay. Uh, you know, Elaine is saying she thinks it's okay. George is the one who is consistently in the episode saying that he doesn't think it's okay. Uh, yeah. Alex, in Rob, your mind, should we be talking about this? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, we're talking about people on a, a TV show. I think that's okay to be talking about what happens on Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're, they're not saying anything that's not okay. But, it, but it, I think what it does is it is a good example of the awkwardness of a bunch of white people sitting around trying to talk about race because they're so ignorant. And, and you know, the, and the Seinfeld, of course, has been criticized for, you know, being in a little bubble and, you know, sort of not being very diverse, the cast of the show. So these are four people who really don't know what they're doing. We have the earlier episode where George is trying to show his boss that he has a black friend. And so he brings uh, Jerry's exterminator over. So these are four people who are really not exactly very woke. And so I think that's the idea that they're so, they're not, they don't have bad intentions, but they're so ignorant that they don't even know, you know, what they're doing basically. Right. There's not any sort of judgment from anybody in the group about, you know, who Elaine is dating, but there is this morbid curiosity that takes over the group of now that the question has been brought up, now everybody is dying to know what the answer to the question is. And we yeah. see this happen a lot on the show where it's like, OK, uh, there's this question. And I can't just come right out and ask the person because then it's like I want to know, but yeah. I need to go, you know, by hook or by crook uh, to go around the beat around the bush and figure it out on my own. That's usually what they use Kramer for. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so they don't know. Uh, this is going to be something that Elaine is going to be trying to figure out uh, all through uh, the whole episode. So back at Jerry's apartment, we see George on the phone talking to the Rosses, and Mrs. Ross wants to invite him to the event. And George just blurts out that he leased a house in the Hamptons and he has to get out there and sign the papers. And that's his excuse to get out there. Uh, What do you think on the excuse meter? Is this a good one for George or no? No. Now, I do like how he says that he's been lying about his income for years. So he thinks he can uh, uh, lie about being able to afford a house in the Hamptons. But it doesn't really make sense. First of all, this event is going to be like, you know, probably on a Friday night or Saturday night. And he's got to go sign the papers then. Like, you know, he couldn't sign the papers a different time. Also, it's March, as we find out in the episode, and everybody's wearing winter jackets. Nobody goes out to the Hamptons in March. Uh, You know, the Hamptons is a place you go in the summer. Well, maybe, though, if you were going to rent a place or buy a place, I mean, uh, that wouldn't you do that before season? I mean, I feel like that that seems like... But if if we're getting into... Well, first of all, I I would guess, you know, I've never bought a house in the Hamptons or rented one, but I would guess that a lot of the real estate brokers for the Hamptons probably are available in Manhattan before the season starts. And also, George will later lie to the Rosses about, this is one of those great Hamptons weekends you always hear about. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, his lie starts to get a little bit more complicated. And the the Rosses, for sure, have had spent time in the Hamptons. Right. Yeah. Is there a better place? Should he have gone with, like, the Poconos? Well, I I mean, the problem is, yeah, all these places, whether it's the Jersey Shore or the mountains or Long Island, those are all places you go on weekends in the summer. Um, And this is March. So, yeah, I guess in terms of affordability and the likelihood of the Rosses knowing somebody, because the Rosses also could have called them and said, oh, where is it? Mm. And then he'd have to make up a town. Right. And then they would like know everything about the town. It's one of those situations where, you know, you try and pick a place that the person's not going to know about. Right. Yeah. Um, it's possible the yeah. Rosses might have their own place in the Hamptons. Yeah. Probable, I would say. Even. Yeah. All right. So here comes Kramer. He's got a cigar. And big news that the coffee table book that he wrote, it is being optioned by a Hollywood so-and-so to be turned into a movie. Do you have any guesses for who that Hollywood so-and-so is? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. Uh, What year is it? Uh, 1998? Yeah, maybe Keanu or uh, I don't know. I don't think he has got that kind of money at that point in time. So it's got to be like a producer, not necessarily like an actor. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> somebody. Somebody at that point in time. And uh, so Kramer, they're asking him, how is that possible? How can a book about coffee tables be turned into a movie? <laughs> he says uh, that photo book about ray guns, they turned that into Independence Day. And yeah. Chester, is this real? <laughs> I mean, that, no. that, that, I know that, that Independence Day, the thing that's not real, but in terms of like, Kramer seems to have some sudden cash. Did this actually happen? Oh, are you saying, or did Kramer just make up the whole story? I mean, did well, he if we're going with the theory, the yeah, if we're going with the theory that Kramer's, you know, a drug dealer, mm-hmm. so then maybe it happens that he just made, made a big deal and made a lot of cash that way, but he's got to find a different way to explain it. But I don't think Kramer, you know, Kramer's not like a malevolent guy. I believe him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the time. Uh, books will get optioned for movies and then it never goes anywhere. It never went anywhere. Somebody. And so this is a book. This was on Regis and, and, and Kathy Lee, right? Mm-hmm. This is a bestseller. Um, so this is, you know, somebody thought, hey, I can turn that into a movie somehow. Not sure if it was ever a bestseller, but it was at least on a morning talk show. <laughs> I would I would argue that it was one of the top 10 coffee table books about coffee. Right. He bought a gold watch. He says it's not real gold. We're going to see him move down to Del Boca Vista later on in the episode. So well, he's uh, retiring. He's smoking cigars and uh, he is going to retire. Uh, Jerry asks him from what? (laughs) 
He only went back to work at the bagel store a couple episodes ago. So the grind. Yeah. The grind, Rob. All right. So uh, Kramer is going to be heading into retirement. So we see Elaine go to Daryl's apartment and she hears some rap music being played and she sort of like nods her head. Okay, yeah. I get it. Uh, She's I, I desperate to be woke. <laughs> right. She wants to know what's going on. And it turns out that, oh, that's his neighbor. And Daryl doesn't even seem to like the music <laughs> that's being played. So Elaine is uh, being, you know, is is really confused. So Daryl has a lot of artwork on the wall in his apartment. She asks a good question. Do these have any cultural significance? And Daryl, I mean, Daryl's kind of a, a, a douche. I, I he's, a, he's a jerk. Yeah. Like, yeah. what kind of reaction is this? Yeah. He <laughs> says to Elaine, uh, they're African. And by the way, whether he's black or white or neither, like in no circumstance, is that like not like a jerk response? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> it's very odd. Yes. And and again, it was like a nuanced answer because Elaine's like, oh, OK, I got it. African. He's like, well, not Africa, actually South Africa. Yeah. OK, then it was a good question that she asked you about. Yeah. But, but I like how he says not Africa, South Africa. Like South Africa is also part of Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's got Africa in the title. So maybe specifically South Africa. Yeah. And so he says that his family used to live there, but we got out years ago for obvious reasons. You know how it is. OK. Yeah. Well, luckily, this was the perfect episode of the podcast to have you here, Alex, because yeah. uh, that we have our very own South African correspondent here to talk with us. Yeah. So my mother uh, left South Africa for obvious reasons in 1974. <laughs> yes. And and she was one of five siblings and all of her five siblings and her parents, they all left, you know, in the 70s and 80s for those same obvious reasons. So we'll have a uh, we, we have one of the emailers sends in and was sort of confused and thought that. That, that what he meant was that he left after apartheid ended and the obvious reasons are because he was pro-apartheid. But that's not true because, first of all, he says he, he got out years ago. He says that. Here, and let's also, just read that email that, yeah. uh, that you mentioned. Okay, so, sure. So Craig from Vancouver ends up writing us to say that when Daryl says his family left South Africa for obvious reasons, it's clearly because apartheid was falling and his family didn't like that. So he is accusing uh, Daryl's family of being pro-apartheid. Yeah. So first of all, Daryl says they got out years ago and apartheid only fell in 94. So presumably it's a lot more than four years ago. And also, if 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 Daryl had left only four years ago, that means he would have left when he was an adult, which means he'd have a South African accent. But he doesn't have an accent, which means that he would have had to leave when he was a kid. So I think pretty clearly uh, Daryl's family left, you know, probably in the 60s or 70s, like like my family did. Um, and the obvious reasons were because they were against apartheid, not okay. pro-apartheid. All right. so Daryl may be black or white, but he's not pro-apartheid. You're not related to Daryl, are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> His last name is Nelson. Yeah. That doesn't sound Irish. <laughs> Chester sounds more Irish. Oh, Chester. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we see George on the street talking to the hot dog vendor who I didn't even FDR. realize this. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that that was FDR until I read the email from Johnny De Silvera. And uh, there he is. A, uh, he comes back. Yeah. And, and he, uh, he doesn't seem to uh, like uh, George's uh, inane conversation too much. Right. This scene is just made up basically... So there can, there can be a reason for the Rosses to see George and George not notice them, basically. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> George is asking FDR if he would eat the hot dogs uh, as a hot dog vendor. George says he would eat them all day long. Alex, if you were a hot dog vendor, would you eat hot dogs constantly? I would like to say no, but probably yes. You probably would. <laughs> no, I think you'd get sick of them. You'd get hungry. Oh, eventually. Yeah. 
But like the first month, I would definitely eat like, you know, probably one or two a day. Certainly the first day. Yeah. You definitely yeah, on, be into it. Yeah. I don't know if I could eat 60 hot dogs in a month. That's a lot. But FDR looks like he's had a few hot dogs in his day. Yeah. And so uh, George is spotted by the Rosses. Uh, <laughs> they see him in the city after the, he said he was going to be in the Hamptons. So uh, they are on high alert. Uh, meanwhile, back at Del Boca Vista, I like this where uh, Jerry comes out of the bedroom uh, and they say, you know, uh, rise and shine, sleepyhead, that they let him sleep in. It's 530 in the morning. Yep. And that is, uh, you know, prime time for Morty and Helen. And uh, it's also Morty's birthday. So Jerry delivers the wizard organizer, which Morty mistakes as a radar detector. Yeah. And by the way, in the first scene, Jerry had told uh, George that his dad doesn't even care about the gift. He just wants it to be a good deal. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. Every gift Jerry gives his dad, he loves the Cadillac. He loves it so much. He doesn't want to give it up when Helen tries to make him. Mm -hmm. And then the number one dad T-shirt he likes even more than the Cadillac. Yeah. Although he throws Jerry's dad is garbage. Yeah, that, oh, that's true. He doesn't like the wallet. But Hates generally Velcro. speaking, yeah, Morty's a, that's true. No, vel- no Velcro on. Oh, actually, I don't know. how Does it, does it clip shot? How does the wizard close? I don't think I don't there's Velcro that. on an electronic organizer. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. I told you, I wasn't cool enough to have one in ninth grade, so I don't know. Yeah. And so Jerry, on top of that, says that he got a deal from a guy on the street. It was 50 bucks. And uh, Morty is excited. He thinks it could be hot. He says, you could do everything with it. You can get email, fax, and there's a calculator. Again, I don't know how this thing faxes. And even if it does, has Morty Seinfeld ever sent to receive an email or a fax? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like sending a fax, there does not seem to be a scanner. In terms of receiving a fax, there does not seem to be a printer. I don't know where you're faxing anything from this. So you're, so you're calling Jerry a liar. Yeah, I don't think Jerry read the manual on this. Yeah. Okay. So Morty is excited about uh, being able to figure out the tip. And here comes Kramer. He uh, has, unbeknownst to Jerry, moved down to Del Boca Vista so that he can hang out uh, next door to Morty and Helen. Yep. And Coincidentally, an apartment has opened up. Right. And so he is uh, eating cookies for breakfast, and uh, we see Helen slap them out of his hand. She's going to uh, make, she offers to make him a feta uh, omelet. Yeah, I like a feta omelet. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big feta guy. Well, it's better than the second offer she gives yeah, him. <laughs> cottage cheese and egg beaters. I didn't even know that's a thing, cottage cheese and eggs. Yeah, I've never heard of, an, of a cottage cheese omelet. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, so Kramer is enjoying. Should we, his should we rank? Should we rank omelets? Uh, what do you have a top omelet? Um, you know, when I'm at like one of those places that has an omelet station, I'll sort of go for you know I'll throw everything in there with the a little bit of cheese, a little bit of onions. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not you know if it's kosher, so I can't have the meat and the cheese, so I'll choose the cheese. Uh, you know, but cheese and vegetables and uh, uh, you know sometimes if I'm feeling trying to be healthy, I'll get the egg white. Although I undo that by probably putting a bunch of cheese on it, so I think that cancels out. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I have never, I, I would like to know what would happen if you would ask for cottage. I guess they, I mean, they probably have cottage cheese somewhere in the fridge so they can go get it. But first off, a strange choice. The idea of like, I mean, <laughs> cheese in an omelet is great because it melts. I yeah. don't know what happens to cottage cheese uh, when you eat it. I've never had warmed cottage cheese. I mean, that sounds yeah. terrible to me. Uh, yeah, if you're going to have cottage cheese, I want it the colder, the better. Feta, I really, I don't know what goes on there. I'm, I'm really not a fan of the soft cheeses, the fetas, the blue cheese. So I don't no, really I do put, I do put feta in my omelets at home when I make them. Though. Does it melt? Yes. Okay. And that's good. But, but, but cottage cheese isn't, 
again, you made a point. I've never heard of hot cottage cheese. Like feta, you can put in pie. You can put in lots of stuff. I've never seen cottage cheese anything other than cold, either by itself or, you know, in a cantaloupe or something. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. All right. So Kramer is all settled in at Del Boca Vista. We get a full-on montage of Kramer. Uh, he's <laughs> playing ping pong. I actually like how it feels like it's going to be a big montage. And then we get two things and then we get the ambulance pulling away. Yeah. Yeah. Kramer's dancing too rough at the <laughs> retirement community. It reminds me of that uh, that scene uh, at night at the Roxbury when uh, Jim Carrey hosted SNL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah uh, you got to dance slowly when you're with the uh, senior citizens. You got to be careful uh, with that. Yeah. Someone uh, can break a hip. <laughs> Maybe actually, scene two leans to C three. Maybe the dance floor scene is what led to the ambulance. Yeah, I think that that's uh, a correct assumption there. I think yeah. that uh, <laughs> we'll see the ambulances called a lot at Del Boca Vista, just like we did back with Mandelbaum uh, uh, a season ago. Anyway, going back to George and Elaine. Uh, so they're going to uh, be talking about the uh, the race situation. Uh, they're having a, a lunch. And George wants to know, which is awkward in and of itself, right? Right. Of uh, any time that they're together in the episode, and George is saying to Elaine, "Why don't you just ask him?" To me, I almost feel like that the dialogue is reversed here. That I feel like that this would be in any other episode. George is having this problem, and Elaine is the one who's saying, "Why don't you ask him?" Yeah, you know that's a good point. Uh, in the notes about nothing, they said how. The, they had intended to write an episode about race for a while, and it was going to be about Elaine the whole time. Originally, the plan was that Elaine would get lost in Harlem or something like that. And so they ended up switching it. Yeah, but for some reason, they had already decided that Elaine was going to be the one to tackle the race issue. I guess they figured she was less prone to say something offensive the way that George or Kramer might. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but you're right. The whole but but also and you can tell Elaine like, again, I think it's 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 cool or Elaine certainly thinks it's cool to be uh, in, in an interracial couple. So she wants to be, she just doesn't know if she is or not. Is this the first time in nine seasons that anybody in the core four is in any sort of interracial relationship? Well, no, there's the episode where Kramer's dating a black girl, right? Uh, he gets the tan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, but I'll say, so in friends, which was another show at, you know, that it was on the air at this time and was also about a bunch of white people in Manhattan and was super not diverse and was criticized for it. And so then they ended up giving uh, Ross a black girlfriend at a certain point. Right. Yeah. But what, 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 and then actually I think Joey dated her also, but what was really annoying to me about Tyler. Yeah. Um, Aisha Tyler, who, uh, you know, a very beautiful woman dates Ross is also like a paleontologist in the show. Very realistic. Um, you know, I, I don't know any paleontologists, but I assume they don't look like Aisha Tyler. You don't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's. I apologize to our paleontologist listeners. A lot of but beautiful anyway, paleontologists. Yeah, out there. I I bet there are. But what annoys me about the in Friends is that they never reference the fact that she's black. And I'm not saying you have to, say, but you know, like you you like somebody would make some comment in some way, not a negative comment, just it would be acknowledged. You know, like mm-hmm. if you have a, if a group of people who are all. I don't know, Jewish and one of them dates a Catholic guy like that would get mentioned in some way, you know, so it was so in Friends, they go out of their way after being criticized. They bring a black character on the show, but never mention it. And then in Seinfeld, they um, they bring a white character on the show and then convince themselves that he's black for some reason. Yeah, well, (laughs) in the case of Friends, I I think that probably it was in response to criticism and media criticism at the time of like, well, how come you don't have any black characters on this show? And that they said, okay, well, you know, we'll respond to that. And then we'll just, it's not even a big deal for anybody that's here 
that's why they probably didn't want to make reference to it happening uh, in the episode where I think that Seinfeld is at least trying to, you know, make this episode more about the potential awkwardness yeah. of a bunch of white people trying to tackle talking about the situation they don't know what they're supposed to say or not yeah but girls to bring up another show of a group of uh, white friends in new york that's not diverse when they were criticized for that so they had lena dunham's character date donald glover mm-hmm. his character on the show but again they're like it was acknowledged it's just it just it seemed weird in friends like their reaction is okay we'll have a black character but we'll never discuss it in any way whatsoever we'll never treat her you know it was almost like they went so overboard to to not even acknowledge it in a way that seems sort of artificial, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. anyway, but yeah, we're talking about Seinfeld. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So that George, uh, puts out the idea that maybe he's mixed, which Elaine says, uh, she doesn't think that's the right word. And George again goes back to, I really don't think we're supposed to be talking about this. Yeah. Okay. By the way, compare this to curb later on where Larry David, uh, quite explicitly, uh, <laughs> talks about it in the, uh, the scene with the, with the, uh, when uh someone's someone's carrying a baby for someone and um and and <laughs> and and Larry asks Larry uses the term mulatto which which I do not believe you're supposed to use mm-hmm. and but he uses it quite explicitly so yeah so George who's based on Larry is very careful in Seinfeld but a couple of years later when Larry David has his own show on HBO he's uh, not careful at all. well Larry David's not there to write for George in this scene Maybe that's he true would have that's advised true. Uh, George to proceed yeah. differently yes probably okay so George goes off to the bathroom here comes Elaine uh, to meet the Rosses as she's leaving the diner and she sees them I guess they're trying like full-on spying on George at this point and she they identify her as oh you're George's friend uh, the, the Rosses want to know what happened to George place in the Hamptons and Elaine laughs in their face. The Hamptons, yeah. George Costanza. I don't think so. She yeah. says. Now you said that they're spying. So you think they only came to the coffee shop specifically to Why find George? Why on earth would the Rosses, after all this time, go to Monk's coffee shop? I mean, George has never run into them at Monk's. You think that the Rosses hang out at Monk's? But everyone on the TV show hangs out at monks when they need to to find a member of the core four right, right. so the only reason to go to monks is when you're looking for the core four so well, no but the, but the characters like sue ellen mishki doesn't go there to find them that she just runs into them right or, or any of the characters people just go there by mistake and they say oh you happen to be here i don't think the rosses know have the rosses hung out with georgia like before the hottest spot in manhattan that the rosses well, no, would go to well no but the rosses are just in the neighborhood and we know they're in the neighborhood because they were in the neighborhood the other day first of all they live on the upper west side right they live right. on on central park west here's the first question yeah. Is this the same day that George was spotted with the hot dog vendor? No, because otherwise, because when he sees them, he's not trying to cover up for having been there. He says, oh, it was a great week- weekend in the Hamptons. So this is like a couple days later. OK, so it's a few days later. You think that the Rosses just hang out at Monk's? No, they don't. They just again, they're only there for. for well, we don't know what happens when we're off the air, I guess. Maybe when the core four aren't there, they come all the time. But we know they live in the neighborhood. They live on, on Central Park West on the Why Upper West Side. Why would the Rosses, with all of their money and means, hang out at this greasy spoon coffee well, what, shop? What kind of elitist are you that you think that, that wealthy people can enjoy? You know, uh, <laughs> by the way, we had that same question. From from Amir, one of our emailers. <laughs> but what and is I, it that why the Rosses at Monks? Yeah, they're too rich. They would never hang out there. That no. doesn't make any sense. I don't think. They live in the neighborhood. They're walking by. They want a cup of coffee. That's it. Whatever. They're just going to any old like a uh, rundown coffee shop with all their. Well, the reason they're going there is because they have to run into the members of the core four. Yeah, but, but again, like you can ask that question about every. Yeah, uh, you look. Um, why does Joe DiMaggio go to Monks? 
Don't, Why I does Suellen Mishki go I, to I Monks? I believe that Joe DiMaggio goes to Dinky Donuts. I don't think he does. He go to Monks? Yeah, at the end of the episode, we oh, find the him the there. Episode? Remember, he's okay. dunking his donut. Why does Suellen Mishki go to Monks? She's you know the heiress to the O'Henry Candy Bar fortune. And Joe DiMaggio um, is old school. That he just uh, he's not an elitist like the Rosses. <laughs> Suellen Mishki's an elitist for sure, though. Yeah, I don't and know. She goes to Monks. She might have just been trying to show off to Elaine. <laughs> Yeah, I think but she but, but she sort of runs into her by accident, right? In, in the backwards episode, doesn't she? I'd have to go and yeah, I would have uh, to re-watch, that. rewatch that. I, yeah, I feel like- I, it's a valid question, but it can apply to every character, every like side character in the show. Why do they go to monks? The reason is because we need them to run into the core four. Yes. So, okay. Yeah. They could have run into them on the streets, I suppose. George, I also think, gets back from the bathroom very quickly here. I didn't have a stopwatch going, <laughs> but I feel like that he's back and forth in less than thirty seconds. <laughs> Yeah, the whole scene is like 45 seconds. So, yeah. yeah. Like Maybe he just was washing his hands, but uh, he comes back out. And so. Uh, the but George Ross- is in a hand washer. Yeah. So, I don't yeah. know exactly <laughs> what the issue is there. That uh, George uh, is, uh, you know, uh, confronted by the Rosses. We were just talking about you. And George uh, said, Oh, this was one of the glorious Hamptons weekends you always hear about. Yeah. In March. Uh, he might move out there even. <laughs> He'll do it. Okay. All right. So next we see Morty with uh, Jerry and they are at lunch and uh, for the I guess this is the birthday lunch and he is using the uh, tip calculator. He ends up going with a 12.4 percent tip. I mean, I mean, that sounds reasonable. I mean, it's not far off from the conventional wisdom of 15 percent. Yeah, especially back then and especially for Morty. I thought this was surprisingly high. And by the way, you don't bring Chester on the podcast and not expect Chester to Chester. So I'm just going to point out that he says it's a 12.4% tip, which comes out to 4.366666 cents, right? Right. This is impossible. Why is that? Because if the, there's, no, there's no amount that it could be 12.4% that would come out to 4.3666. The closest, if the bill was 35.21, the tip would have been 4.36604. And if the bill was 35.22, the bill would have been... 4.366728. Okay. Are you accounting so, yeah. for user <laughs> error on the part of Morty that his fat No, but I'm saying, but there's no number, there's no number you could enter. Well, unless he didn't enter 12.4 correctly, right. but he did not enter the first number correctly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's true. Y- you are assuming Morty Seinfeld <laughs> knows exactly how to use the wizard uh, pocket organizer to calculate yeah. the tip. Is it possible that this is a willard also? And so maybe it's just doing things wrong. That is possible as well. But yeah. I think it's more likely that Morty just doesn't yeah. know how to use it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, probably. But hold on. But he gives it to, to Jerry. Jerry's the one who calculates it, isn't he? I, I don't know. I'd have to go back yeah. and watch, rewatch the scene. Jerry's the one who reads out the 4.366666. Yeah. Okay. Well, Helen says to Jerry, it's nice that you came down here to take your dad's mind off the condo elections. And Jerry <laughs> says, it's right, because you couldn't run again because you got impeached at the other condo. Morty says it wasn't an impeachment. He resigned. Why can't he run for the condo president of this condo after, I mean, does everybody know? Is it too much of a scandal or is there something in the bylaws of the Constitution of Del Boca Vista? Yeah, they seem to imply it's the latter that if you have. But again, but he resigned and he wasn't forced out like officially. He he just resigned of his own volition. So, uh, yeah, I think it would probably they're just worried that, look, the Boca Breeze. They have some good investigative reporters. Yes. So if he had run, they would have found out about it. Yes. The failing Boca Breeze, uh, <laughs> full of fake, fake news. news. Yeah. Morty calls it a pinko commie rag. <laughs> <laughs> I do love everything with the Boca Breeze throughout yeah. the episode as we see all the headlines yeah. from there. But 
Alex, can you refresh our memory? What was the scandal that forced uh, Morty Seinfeld out as the condo president uh, back when we had like the resignation episode? So Jerry had come down to give his dad a, a car as a gift, a Cadillac. Oh, they thought and, he was he was. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and because he got a new Cadillac, you know, they thought, well, how did he have that money? He must, but again, they never checked the books. They just assumed he must be stealing. And when he said my son got it for me, they said, we saw his act. That's not possible. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yeah. Okay. So that, that was the uh, explanation given for why he had to resign there. Um, yeah. By the way, we, you, uh, we forgot one uh, great line. I just like is uh, when Jerry, when Morty can't open the tip calculator and Jerry opens it and uh, Helen claps her hands and says, yay, Jerry got it open. Yes. Uh, they're very, very impressed with, uh, with Jerry at all times. Yeah. So Kramer <laughs> comes in and uh, one of the other gentlemen at Del Boca Vista is very impressed with, with Kramer. Uh, they say, your boy here got a date with that young aqua-sized instructor. <laughs> Jerry uh, seems to know immediately who they're talking about. She's, he says, uh, she's 50. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Kramer is being uh, propped up a little bit as uh, this sort of uh, charismatic figure in the Del Boca Vista community. And Morty immediately identifies him and says, look, I, I can see right now you'll be the next condo president of Del Boca Vista phase three. And Kramer seems excited about this. Yeah. Manchurian candidate Kramer. Yeah, well, I don't excited. know if he's necessarily a Manchurian candidate, but yeah. he's somebody that is just being uh, coached up uh, by a uh, shadowy figure. Yeah. And he's very excited to be engaged in whatever shady shenanigans he can. Yeah. Right. He wants slush funds. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Morty Seinfeld, though, the original Morty Seinfeld administration was not a corrupt or poorly run uh, administration, correct? Yeah. Notwithstanding the accusations, he was actually clean. Yes. But I think it's sort of like, well, you think I'm dirty. I'll show you dirty. Yeah. So he really has broken bad at this point, Morty Seinfeld. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we see uh, Daryl with Elaine and uh, uh, that she hands him a uh, pocket organizer to the point where she wants to fill out the warranty and they go through hobbies and stuff like that. And finally, she gets down to race uh, to ask Daryl what his race is. And uh, he asks, isn't that optional? And Elaine says, well, it should be, but, you know, let's just uh, send that in. Darryl's, They'd really like to know. <laughs> yeah, Daryl suggests that he put Asian just to mess with them. Elaine's more confused than ever. She's more confused than ever. Uh, she does like that Daryl says that his average income is over 100000 Yeah, that's very nice to know. Yes. Uh, thirsty Elaine is back. And, of course, uh, Elaine. What does well, what Daryl do for a profession? Do we have any idea? Uh, that we don't really ever uncover. I mean, do you have a guess on Daryl's occupation? Well, maybe he's like an art dealer. He's got all that art on the walls. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Uh, art dealer? Is that a $100,000 occupation? If you're good at it, if you're good at it. If you're making, if you're making the right deals. Okay, so Jerry is on the phone with Elaine, and he's asking about did she figure out what was going on with Daryl's race? Uh, she says no. She starts taking him to Spanish restaurants. That'll cover <laughs> us either way. I don't know what she's talking about here. A very, very, very odd choice. 
it comes up at the end of the episode that they're asking, like, yeah, why would you do that? Why, yeah. why did we go to all those Spanish yeah. restaurants? Again, uh, the core four, not great at race relations. Yeah. Now, what is a Spanish restaurant? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of Mexican restaurants. Are there a lot of Spanish restaurants? Yeah, you can get, you know, paella. Yeah, that's Spanish, um. <laughs> not Mexican? Um, I mean, I've only been to like one Spanish restaurant that I can think of. Yeah. Oh, actually, I have, a, I have a kind of a funny story about this. So when you go to Spanish restaurants, you get tapas, right? Which are like okay. small plates. You know that, right? Yes. This reminds me of uh, one time my wife and I were going to go to dinner with my in-laws. And um, I said to my mother-in-law, why don't we go to this tapas restaurant? Because it was this new Spanish uh, kosher tapas restaurant that actually opened in our neighborhood. And my mother-in-law sort of acted coolly towards it. So I said, well, I think you'll really like it. I'm not sure about dad, but you'll really like it. And I said that because my father-in-law is not very uh, adventurous when it comes to food, but my mother-in-law is. My mother-in-law acts very awkward. She's like, you think I'm going to like it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah you're really going to like it. It's a tapas restaurant. And, you know, and, and then to make a long story short, she thought I'd been saying topless the whole no. time <laughs> instead of tapas. <laughs> Yeah. Easily confused. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I said to her, I'm like, but I, and then I said to her afterwards, when I, I'm like, but I said it was kosher. Like, why would there be a kosher topless? I mean, look, you got to cover uh, every possible audience. So maybe there is one. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So, okay. you know, maybe Elaine opening. was taking Daryl to those guys. <laughs> maybe that's where she was taking him. <laughs> so uh, we see Jerry and Elaine have this conversation. Uh, Jerry's letting Elaine know about Kramer running for president of the condo. And uh, talking about how uh, Morty wants to install this puppet regime. Uh, Now, here comes George, who shows up. I guess he was expecting to also pick up Jerry's mail, which they have the mailbox. I don't know if if the job entails like getting the mail and going and putting it in Jerry's apartment physically. And that George also felt like he was going to do that. But George is very insulted that Elaine is there as the person picking up the mail. And so Jerry, very quick on his feet, decides that, okay, I have a different job for you, George. I need you to flush the toilet twice a day and exercise the gaskets. It's very (laughs) important. And George takes this on. Why is Jerry like the Joe Mayo of vacation jobs? Well, I just think because his friends get easily insulted. They're very sensitive. Is that what it is? Is this how things started for Joe Mayo at his first party where there was like one good job? And so Joe Mayo had to come up with jobs for everybody. Yeah, I think maybe we've got to the uh, core of Joe Mayo. (laughs) The Joe Mayo origin story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, we see uh, George now uh, with Elaine all alone. And Elaine reveals that, hey, she ran into the Rosses uh, and she wanted to know, why did they think you had a place in the Hamptons? And George says, because I told them I had a place in the Hamptons. Yeah. And she, Elaine is so mean in this scene. She says, <laughs> and I told them you didn't. And I laugh and I laugh and I laugh. (laughs) Okay, so at this point in the episode, George clearly knows that the Rosses are on to him. But then later on in the episode, I feel like he acts as though, but like, uh, so you knew, you knew the whole time I didn't have a place in the Hamptons. And uh, I feel like that they sort of lose the thread on this. Yeah, it's a very confusing game of chicken. You're not sure what George wants in that last season. Last scene. Yeah. I don't know if he just feels like that eventually they're going to say, all right, all right, sure, fine, George. You have a place in the Hamptons. Uh, don't take us any further to uh, we, we, we believe you. But they're all in. So I don't know what, you know, he's trying to continue to play in this game of chicken. And it's just that there's uh, nothing he can do. Yeah. 
Except if he says, like, we're going to swim for it. I don't know if the Rosses (laughs) might have uh, gone with him, like, uh, into the ocean. But uh, we'll get to that last scene anyway. All right. So George says uh, it's not over. He's going to invite the Rosses to his non-existent place in the Hamptons. And we'll see who blinks first. Again, I guess if if he suspects that they would rather not spend time with him than to sit in the car and drive out to the Hamptons with him, then maybe that they are just like they hate him so much they won't spend time with him. Yeah, it's odd that the the way that the characters show in this episode that they hate each other is by committing to spend an entire day in a small car with each other. (laughs) Right. Okay. so we see Kramer on the campaign trail. Alex, what do you think of Kramer, the candidate? I really like it. He's pinching cheeks. I like that. Slapping a sticker on the ambulance. Uh, probably not allowed to do that, but uh, I like the Boca Breeze headlines. Uh, did you catch the Larry David headlines? Uh, no. What did it say? So the first episode, the first uh, issue of the magazine has a bottom headline that says Larry David gets hole in one. The, uh, the next issue of the Boca Breeze, the headline says Larry David hurts elbow. And then the last uh, episode of uh, the last uh, edition of the Boca Breeze that we see, the headline is Larry David never to play golf again. Oh, no. Yeah, so that's bad times news. for Larry that's, David. See, that's fake news. Exactly the kind of thing we're talking about with the Boca Breeze. Yeah, the, the Boca Breeze is fake Breeze. news. Yeah. And okay. by the way, uh, when I Googled it to just see, there is a uh, gift shop in the Waldorf Astoria in Boca Raton called the Boca Breeze. So <laughs> did, did the Waldorf steal the name of their gift shop from Seinfeld? I doubt it. I would doubt it. <laughs> I think it's just the alliteration. <laughs> but but I, somebody must have been in there before and, and referenced Seinfeld to them, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I, I, I'd actually be surprised. You should call them and ask them if that's the case. <laughs> All right. I, I have their, uh, I'm looking at their phone number right now. Should I give them a call? <laughs> yeah. If, if, why don't you call them? And then on, on next week's email, let us know what they say, what the response is to that. I bet the person hangs up on you before they get to an answer. Okay. So we see Elaine and Daryl at Monk's and they're having coffee and the waitress says a, a, a she asks Daryl a question, which I think is pretty unusual. She says to Daryl, "Are you black, or should I bring some cream?" I mean, I drink a lot of coffee. I've never heard anybody's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, how do you take it, black? Uh, like, oh, uh, you know, whoa, do you want anything in your coffee? No, just black. But I've never heard anybody say, are you, are you black for, do you like your coffee without cream and sugar? Yeah. Very, I, they're really stretching to try and uh, get more possible ways to be confused here, basically. Yeah. Uh, Daryl is, uh, saying to Elaine at this point, then, did you hear that? Uh, talking about the waitress, uh, there's still people having trouble with an interracial couple. And Elaine is like, oh, interracial, us. And Daryl is like, yeah, you can't believe it. Now, later on in this episode, we will find out that Daryl mistakenly thinks that Elaine is Hispanic. Now, okay, sure. But why then does he think the waitress has an issue with this being an interracial couple? Well, it's not the waitress. It's after the waitress walks away. There's an older white couple that mumbles something under their breath as they walk past them. Okay. And, and the, the the guy mumbles something, and that's what Daryl's responding to. Okay. So the question uh, is, why did he? What did that guy mumble? Uh, that I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is I mean uh, that this is a very a very sensitive uh, issue that to have uh, somebody in a coffee shop is making some disparaging remarks yeah. that they think that Elaine could be a Hispanic woman uh, on a date here with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl and Elaine are basically both white people like, who are so desperate this? to be uh, 
so desperate to be cool enough to be dating somebody who's not white and they're both failing. Yeah. I do like that Daryl is saying, this is unbelievable. I, I can't believe this. Uh, I don't feel like eating. And Elaine says, me neither, but maybe this turkey club. Yeah. But by the way, from Daryl's perspective, where he thinks that Elaine is the ethnic minority here, she, if, she, if she's okay with it, then he should be okay with it also. Yes. Okay. Right. But is there some <laughs> virtue signaling going on here by Daryl that he needs to appear to be yeah. so outraged? On behalf of his Latina, Latina girlfriend. Yeah. Yes. And so that, that he sort of like wants to appear to his white friends that he's yeah. like, uh, you know, very outraged about what's going on. Yeah. And, and by the way, I think that um, it's more believable that Elaine Bennis is Latina than that Daryl Nelson in the show is black. So Daryl's less uh, less often than Jerry is, I guess, Jerry being the one who initiates this whole thing. Yeah, I could definitely uh, see that. I thought that, that he makes some good points as to why, especially at the point where she starts bringing him to Spanish restaurants. Yeah, yeah exactly. Think- and what is and what is Latino? And like, there's people who are Hispanic who have skin that, you know, is extremely light or extremely dark. So you can't judge anything from skin color. So, yeah, the, the last name and, and the Spanish restaurants, I think Daryl has more uh, uh, logic than uh, behind his suspicions. Yeah. OK, so George ends up running into the Rosses once again and uh, that he wants to take them to the Hamptons. Uh, and so this is uh, officially the road trip is beginning. George is asking that they have their bathing suits. Mr. Ross uh, points out how it's March and uh, George is really trying to give them every opportunity to back out. They will not. Yeah. George says, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> let's, let's get nuts. Which is apparently a, uh, a line from the 1989 Batman movie that Michael Keaton's character Bruce Wayne says. Do you think that that's what he was going for? Uh, that's what the notes about nothing said, that it was an homage to uh, Michael Keaton. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I do not remember that. All right. So then we see Jerry uh, with his dad. He's trying to tell Morty that the wizard can tell him when to take his vitamins. And then uh, he Morty doesn't care about vitamins. He only cares about what's going on with the election. And uh, we get a copy of this morning's uh, Boca Breeze. A scandal has erupted. That candidate Cosmo Kramer was caught barefoot in the clubhouse. Yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, a, I've done this at the clubhouse at my in-laws place. Yes. And was it was it a scandal? Yeah. I can't run for office there anymore. Yes. I, I mean, did you was there actual hot water that you got into? Uh, I don't think so. But I'll also, unlike Kramer, when I'm there, I'm always with my children. And so it's sort of like catnip to these old people is to see a little you know, babies running around. So. OK, so what is the clubhouse at a Del Boca Vista? So basically, you, it's one of these gated communities where all these houses look identical and they're all occupied by, you know, 70 year old you know, Jewish family couples or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the clubhouse is sort of the central right when you drive in. It's before it's sort of the first thing you see. And there's like a little gym for working out there. There's a there's a public pool. And, and then there's a room where you can play Mahjong or, or cards or billiards or whatever these people are playing. And then there's, you know, there's a room maybe where they'll have communal, like they'll have a Super Bowl party there or something like that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But um, it's sort of the, 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 the communal gathering place. But I can tell you, at least, you know, my in-laws have lived at two different communities like this in Boca. You never see anybody there. There'll be like one room with like four old ladies playing, you know, Mahjong. And then you'll see maybe one person working out in the gym. And, that, and then it's my kids swimming in the pool. You mm-hmm. never see anybody there. It's always empty. Okay. Well, this is a big scandal. This could take down the whole Cosmo Kramer uh, campaign. And so they, uh, Kramer says, look, we need to get people those tip calculators. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kramer says, what if we give one to everybody on the condo board? Uh, and Morty says, there's, well, there's 20 people. Yeah. Even if it's 50 bucks each, that's a thousand bucks. Yeah. Is, is it worth spending a thousand bucks to bribe your way onto the presidency of the condo board? I mean, for Kramer, it is that uh, he's all about these wiretaps and uh, slush funds. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Morty is on board. Morty is just so thirsty for power that he's willing to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Jerry tells Kramer, I can't get those wizards. I thought uh, that, that I don't have a deal. Uh, Kramer says, don't worry. I know a guy, Bob Sacamano's father. <laughs> Bob Sacamano Sr. Bob also Sacamano in Boca. <laughs> yeah. He's what are the odds? All right. So uh, George is driving with the Rosses and uh, they are really enjoying uh, tormenting him and they want to know more and more about the house in the Hamptons. And so uh, George is sort of giving them the virtual tour and he talks about how the master bedroom enters into the solarium. Yeah. Had you ever heard that word before this episode? No, no, I had not. Yeah. I was only 14 at the time, but I had never heard that word before. Yes. Uh, And you don't have a solarium, do you? A solarium is like like a like a deck, basically a porch. I think it's like a greenhouse. Uh, no, I mean we have a porch on our on our new house, but uh, it, it doesn't have like it's not fenced. You know, it's not screened off, so I yeah. don't believe we have a solarium. Yeah, I think it's like something where you could like sort of like sit in yeah. the sun, but it's uh, technically you're indoors, protected from the bugs or whatever. Yeah, we don't have a solarium. We don't have two solariums. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love the name of George's horses, uh, Snoopy yeah. and Prickly Pete. Yeah, the best part of the lie is the horse names. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Ross says, pull over. I want to go to the antique <laughs> stand and get you a housewarming gift. I'll pick me any. Yeah. Uh, the Rosses are not effing around. Yeah. <laughs> so we go back to monks and, uh, we see Elaine now with the waitress. Now this is, uh, probably, uh, where things, uh, Elaine, Elaine is a little out of bounds. Yeah. Um, Try, trying a little too hard. The waitress says she just worked a triple shift, which is odd because we've never seen this waitress before. <laughs> yeah. And Elaine says, I hear you, sister. Yeah. Does she say sister? Or is it like a sister? Even? <laughs> I think I, she drops the ER. <laughs> I, I felt like the ER is there. Okay. And Elaine uh, says to the waitress, it's okay. My boyfriend's black. Now, again, I don't <laughs> think that's Elaine's call to make. Yeah, that's that's an absurd thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he walks in and the waitress asks, he's black. Daryl yeah. says, I'm black. And I thought this is a great line that the waitress says, uh, I'll give you a couple minutes to decide, uh, yeah. which really works on both. But hold levels. on. This is the same waitress earlier in the episode who asked Daryl if he's black in reference to his coffee. Yeah. Um, is it? Are you sure about that? Oh, I thought it was. I, I could think be wrong. it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he could, so so I'm surprised that when he hears I'm black, he doesn't just say, "Well, no, I'll have a little cream." That's how we re- that's how we reacted last time. He acted totally cool as if it was a normal question last time. Yeah, but Elaine says uh, in earshot, "It's okay, my boyfriend's black." Oh, that's true. Yeah, here he is. See, yeah. So I think that that was the part, and yeah. uh, and they weren't talking about coffee. Elaine <laughs> says, I, "I thought you said we were an interracial couple," and Daryl says, "We are because you're Hispanic." Yeah. And uh, he explains that your name's Bennis, your hair. You kept taking me to all those Spanish restaurants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I like how he thinks Bennis is Latino. Uh, when I was, you know, when, when, when we first got America Online in like 1994, 1995, I used to go into AOL teen chat all the time when I was oh like 12 boy. or 13. Yeah. It was a little before your time. And I was talking to this girl in teen chat and her last name was, was Perez, P-E-R-E-Z or S. And I, because I lived in a little bubble, 
I, and at the time, the prime minister of Israel's name was Shimon Perez. So I thought that Perez was a Jewish name. <laughs> so I said, oh, are you Jewish? And she's like, no, I'm Latina, you idiot. My name is Perez. And I'm like, oh, I thought that was a Jewish name. Wow. I so, mean, yeah. So uh, Ben is apparently can be, uh, can be, uh, well, what, what is Elaine? What's her ethnicity? Do we know? I don't think we ever get what Elaine's, uh, you know, I, I'm guessing that she's some sort of uh, European ancestry. I mean, we see her father, uh, we see her grandmother, we see her cousin, um, you know, that they're all like pretty waspy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her dad seems very waspy. So I don't think that there's any sort of uh, tell yeah. in terms of uh, what her background is. other than yeah, but how, they, how they get this name Venice. That is, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know yeah. uh, necessarily uh, <laughs> what, what the, the the history is on that. Um, yeah. It might have been one of these things that they shortened at Ellis Island or, yeah. or what. But the wasps don't have to do that. It's just like the, the Italians and the Jews who have oh, to do that, that, what, that thing, right? Because the wasps have all the names that we shortened too, like Chester, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? What's the long version? I mean, it was Chodorkov originally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my last name, I think, was spelled uh, differently. And they just like whatever they wrote down on the paper. It was like, OK, that's yeah. what that's what your name is now. Yeah. But you but they kept the uh, they, they, they didn't shorten it. They the, didn't shorten well, it. But it could have been Chester also. Actually, your first six, seven letters. It's, you know. Yeah. 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 I think they changed. Actually, the first Chester Nino is more logical to Chester than Chodorkov is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We, we should switch last names is what I'm saying. <laughs> OK, I'm, I'm open to it. It's easier to spell. <laughs> Uh, I like when Daryl asks, so why would you take me to a Spanish restaurant because I'm black? And Elaine says, uh, I don't think we should be talking about this. Yeah. So they have the realization. So we're just a couple of white people. And, uh, you know, there's some sadness there. And Elaine says, do you want to just go to the gap? Yeah. There you now go. I need to tell you something. I, when I saw this episode, I was like 14. I wasn't really at the age where you're buying your own clothes yet. So I don't know if I'd ever really been to a gap. But I, I assumed from that, oh, the Gap must be like a really, really like square, nerdy, only white people place to go. But then a, a year later, I moved to New York and, and I ended up being in the Gap in Manhattan and I saw a very diverse crowd there. And every time I've ever entered a Gap in my life since then, which is not that often, I always think of this episode of Seinfeld and I always look around and it's always very diverse in there. So I don't know why they're hating on the Gap. The Gap should have hired Jackie Childs. You know, this is like defamation. Well, maybe that had been the Gap's perception at that point in time. Yeah. And, and everything changed after this episode. I guess uh, uh, other people decided, hey, we well, got to start going to the Gap because apparently Elaine and Daryl really opened uh, doors for everybody who gets to go into the <laughs> people Gap. People saw them and said, hey, look at that black guy and that Latino girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're hanging out yeah. at the Gap. Must be a cool place to go. Yeah. Okay. So Kramer is at the restaurant at Del Boca Vista. They feel good about the, the polls. I mean, you would think that everybody would have already voted at this point. Like, uh, you know, it's sort of like this scandal breaks uh, with yeah. an hour to go in voting <laughs> you would think that especially all these senior citizens they're up first thing in the morning at yeah, the polls close at three yeah <laughs> so i don't know if there's like some sort of like constitutional crisis that ends up happening where they and i have pull. another question yeah the, the solution to the scandal was to bribe 20 members of the board but doesn't everybody get to vote why would everybody else care that you bribe 20 people mm-hmm. well maybe they have their constituents where this is sort of like oh, uh they just tell them like, who to vote for they go yeah. and tell it, like the influential members of del boca vista <laughs> tell everybody like hey i yeah. vote for kramer yeah oh that's true because later on the guy says everybody vote for the guy in the wheelchair <laughs> <laughs> right and everybody listens yeah so oh, there's a deleted scene did you see the deleted no scene? i couldn't get my dvd to work i had to watch it on hulu so, well, I actually did not see it, but I read a description of it. Uh, it's right before the scene. Jerry visits a mute Bob Sacamano senior to fill his order of 20 Willard organizers at $50 a piece. 
as he cannot afford to buy 20 new Wizards at that price. Yeah. Why can't Jerry afford to buy 20 new Wizards? Is it just that Jerry will not yeah. spend the money? He will not spend $4,000 on Wizards to get Kramer elected? He will only spend $1,000 yeah. on that? <laughs> I guess that's his cap. Also interesting that we never see Bob Sacramento, but they did decide, although they ended up cutting it, to show Bob Sacramento Sr., although he didn't speak in the scene. Hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I would have liked to see Bob Sacramento Sr. Yeah. Um, it would help fill in my image in my head of Bob Sacramento Jr. All right. Well, maybe we'll go back and try to find the deleted <laughs> scene so we can get to see a, a sense of uh, what he is. Yeah. So uh, the tip calculators are screwing up. They are over tipping. Yeah. The old man says, I just left $5 for a BLT. Too much. Too much. This isn't a wizard. It's a Willard. It's screwing yeah. me. I like one guy says uh, it ruined my life. I'm ruined. <laughs> said. I'm, yeah. He overtipped for a sandwich. Yeah. Uh, and so Morty, you and Kramer are finished. Uh, everybody vote for the guy in the wheelchair. I don't know why the guy in the wheelchair is so disparaged. I mean, he could be like an FDR type leader of Del Boca yeah. Vista. Certainly be. better yeah. than Kramer. Yeah. And by the way, so the guy who tells everybody to vote for the guy in the wheelchair, he's also the guy who talks about how Kramer has charisma. So that character, they don't say his name, but do you know what his name is? It's in the script. What is it? His name is Sid Luckman. Sid Luckman. Now, Sid Luckman, as NFL fans know, is one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put a little plug here. Right now, uh, in this week's podcast of 32 fans, Akiva and I ranked, we're ranking the top 100 quarterbacks of all time. This week, we got up to number 34, and Luckman hasn't appeared yet. So in next week's episode, Sid Luckman will appear. Um, but anyway, in addition to being the greatest Jewish quarterback what in history, a smooth plug. Yeah. Chester. <laughs> That's true. But in addition to being the greatest Jewish quarterback in NFL history, according to Wikipedia, at the time this episode aired, Sid Luckman was 81 years old and wait for it, living in a retirement community in South Florida. Mm. So what do you so think? This it? was the writers tipping their cap or you think this was going to be a, a walk on part for Sid Luckman? <laughs> well, I don't know. But here's the other thing. He dies within five months of this episode airing. Eerie. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Sid Luckman, he also appears in the English Patient, which is the one with the Mandelbaums. So, but they never call him Sid Luckman, just the script calls him Sid Luckman. So yeah, so nobody would have even known. So is that just a coincidence? They pick, just picked a name that sounded like a name of an old Jewish guy? Um, I mean, that I'm pretty sure there's probably more than one Sid Luckman in the world, probably living uh, in Del Boca yeah. Vista. Well, there's one fewer now, as of 1998. But, yeah. Yeah. All right, so Jerry has to reveal to his dad that uh, he couldn't get a deal, that it was $200, uh, and that's why that they had to go with the Willards. Uh, and Morty says, you spent $200 on a tip calculator? And Jerry you know, is arguing, uh, it does other things. Yeah, and again, $50 is still way too much for a tip calculator, so Morty shouldn't have liked that either. But no. Anyhow. All right. Uh, then the final scene uh, after the uh, credits is George driving with the Rosses. Uh, they get to the end of Long Island and George says they have to go on foot from here. <laughs> and uh, the Rosses agree to that. And George ends up getting down on his knees and says, OK, there's no house. It's a lie. No solarium. No prickly Pete. There's no other solarium. Uh, he wants they, and they know. And George wants to yeah. know why. Why did you make me drive all the way out here? Why didn't you say something? Why, why, why? And they explain, well, yeah, we don't like you, George. We always blamed you for what happened to Susan. Yeah. Very, very confusing. Uh, what, what exactly, uh, you know, George was trying to get out of this. 
right. difficult to figure it's it like, out. It's like, oh, yeah, just like I hypothesized at the beginning of the episode <laughs> that you guys don't like me because you blame me for Susan. And just yeah. like Elaine told me, you knew I didn't have a house in the Hamptons the whole time. So, yeah, I guess this does make some sense that you yeah. guys were just trying to make me look stupid. And uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I did not do anything to change that possibility. And then the Rosses get back in the car. They're like, all right, let's go home. Like, that would be the worst two-hour drive in history. No, I think that they'd be like, uh, remember when we made you look like a total idiot and a liar? <laughs> that was awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, have you, have you ever been to the Hamptons? I, yes. Yes, I have. Like, not like to, like, uh, n- you know, um, hang out for in, like, Hamptons houses and stuff like that. But when I used to live on Long Island, I went to, like, the Bordy Barn and, like, uh, a couple of, like, different, like, uh, Hamptons, uh, like, you know, club type things like outdoor yeah. bars but you weren't hanging out you know in solarium houses with uh with horses no no i wasn't going yeah. to like p diddy white party or anything <laughs> like that yeah <laughs> no so we'll see i mean it just seems like a uh, a real schlep to get out there and then you gotta fight the traffic both ways it, it does not yeah. seem like something that i'd be dying to do yeah sunday afternoon traffic in the summer from long island is atrocious if I could like go out there on like, and I just came back from Long Island uh, to visit my mom. I, like, if I was gonna go to the Hamptons ever, and somebody was like, "Hey, come to my place in the Hamptons from like, uh, you know, Monday to Thursday," I'd be like, "All right, great, uh, I'd love yeah. to." Or even leave on a Friday. You're going back when everybody's coming in. So I feel yeah. like that during the week in the Hamptons, I think that that would be uh, cool in my book. Yeah, or you need like a helicopter. That's probably how the uh, high rollers get. Yeah, there. that's how they do it. Yeah. Okay, so. Alex, let's talk about this episode and let's look at it from the big picture perspective. So are, we, are you going to rank the episode in Akiva's rankings? I'm ranking it. Akiva sent me his ranking. I ranked the stories. Akiva sent me his story do rankings as well. Do you have your own ranking of the episodes? Yeah. So I rank. Do I? Do okay, I? I There's anything I don't rank? Bad. Yeah. So what so, has been the biggest delta of an episode between you and Akiva's rankings? Do you have that? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I've been sort of waiting. What I did is I, as you guys do an episode each week, I watch an episode and then I rank it then. So okay. in other words, I haven't ranked the final five episodes yet. And so okay. I've been sort of waiting until you guys do your final episodes. And then I, I was going to email you guys sort of my, my cumulative ranking. But I'm looking at it right now. We have a huge gap on The Voice earlier in season uh, season nine. Who's Akiva has at one Akiva has at 124. I have the 10. Love, so love, love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this, the Susie, Akiva. Ha- oh, here's a better one. The wi- oh, that's this episode. Sorry. This episode is the biggest delta. Wow. Okay. Wow. So yeah. this is so uh, so this is so I, I guess you said this is one of your favorite episodes. So I'm guessing that you are super high on it, and Keeve is super low on it. Yes, exactly. Also, so then he would have been like a real negative Nancy then this week, uh, poo pooing this whole episode. Yeah, he emailed me. He's like, "Boy, what a dump of an episode you got." And I'm like, "Also, oh, I think he probably did this intentional. I don't think there's uh, any <laughs> mistakes uh, here yeah. in the planning." So he hates this episode. He's yeah. like, "Good that I will just uh, forfeit this one." I mean, he could have picked last week's episode or this episode to uh, do in New York, and uh, he must really hate this episode. Yeah. So this episode is, uh, I can confirm. All right. I just went through all our episodes. We have a delta of. Well, do you want to guess what, either one of our rankings? 
Uh, well, if it's bigger than the other one, let, let's come. You know what? Let's uh, do the letter grades and sure. then uh, okay. come back just to keep things uh, on yep. schedule. All right. Jerry in this episode, this is a weird episode for Jerry. He doesn't really have a story other than he gave his parents an organizer. Yeah. There's not really a beginning, middle and end to the story. Um, yeah. You know, uh, to me, I think it's an incomplete for Jerry. I, I, I don't think there's enough there to grade a storyline for Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I'll give him a B. I always enjoy when he's in Boca. So okay. I'll give him a B. B for Boca. Uh, Kramer retires, goes down to Del Boca Vista, runs for office uh, with Morty Seinfeld. What's your letter grade here? I thought Kramer's excellent here. I'll give him an A minus. I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's an A, but it, I thought it was very good. Yeah, I'll give him more of a B plus uh, along the way. It's uh, it's fun. The montages are are, are fine. Um, you know, we, we're not really uh, having anything that's super memorable along the way, but you know, nothing that's uh, embarrassing either. What yeah. about Elaine with Daryl and trying to identify what race he is? Yeah, so I understand this is where they really wanted to go. They were trying to, you know, make an episode about race. To me, it was a swing and a miss. The episode where George is trying to prove he has a black friend was better. I'll give it a C. I just thought, you know, it didn't really make sense. The casting was a little strange uh, for Daryl. And it was never really, you know, it, it had a lot of potential. I just think that they didn't really carry it forward. Yeah, I definitely uh, could see that. I'll give it a C plus just because I like the Elaine is Spanish angle on it. I yeah. think that, that turned out to be a, a funny bit uh, at the end of the episode. Uh, I also like, do you want to just go to the gap? Uh, and then finally, George with the Rosses. So I like it until that last scene, which again, it's just confusing. What is George trying to get out of that scene? Like, what's the best case scenario for him? So I'm going to give it a C just because that last scene was confusing. C for confusing. Yeah. I'll give it a C minus. I feel like that you bring the Rosses back. Like, let's at least have a good reason for why we never find out what they want. We never find out like what George is thinking in terms of trying to uh, give like he has a terrible plan overall. I like prickly Pete, but uh, that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, I keep as much lower on his rankings. He gives Jerry and Kramer a combined D. Oh, wow. He gives Elaine a B minus, which is actually higher than I gave it. And then he gives uh, he gives George a C. Yeah. Maybe he's just so intolerant of uh, the, uh, you know, that uh, Akiva is uh, probably, uh, you know, a person who is going to be uh, very upset to hear like uh, some of this uh, talk about, you know, trying to talk what race people are. I think that he's uh, not going to stand for that. That might be one of the reasons why he hates this episode. Yeah, Akiva hates people of all races. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So what? So I'm going to guess that you uh, have this episode. uh, What around? I guess 23, and Akiva has it at like 140. All right, that's that's incredible. I have this episode ranked 23. Wow, you had 180 options. You got it exactly on the nose. I'm on fire now with these. Yeah. So, I mean, you, but I mean, but you, you yeah, did sort of like uh, narrow it down yeah, in terms of saying true. that there was a bigger yeah. delta than yeah, that's the true. previous I one, did. which was like a hundred. All right, spots. don't don't downplay. You still did a good job. Akiva has this episode ranked one fifty two, which is his lowest ranked episode since the Briss from season five. Wow. My conclusion is Akiva hates Jews, whether they're eight days old or whether they're senior citizens. Um, <sighs> I will say this episode, the rankings very polarizing. So I have five different rankings that I have other than mine and Akiva's, and I have like a cumulative ranking of all seven averaged together. Of those five, not including Akiva and I, two of them have uh, this episode in the top 40, and three of them, including Akiva, have it in the bottom 40. So nobody thinks this is an average episode. Either you love it or you hate it. So where are you, Rob? Uh, 
I think it was fine. I'm probably (laughs) so you are the guy in the middle. Yeah, I'm. (laughs) I I wouldn't say that I'm like a you know binary uh, good or bad on this episode. I feel like that I'm probably closer to you know not liking it than uh, than liking it. But I don't think there's anything that's uh, terrible here. Yeah, and there's no, there's nothing memorable. I didn't give any of the story grades other than Kramer and A. So I'm not sure why I haven't ranked the why. I just, I really love when they're in Boca. And again, this scene just, it reminds me of the insanity that I deal with uh, when I go down there to my in-laws. So. Okay, so it's very relatable for you. Yeah, we needed some Jack Compass, I think. Okay, yeah, I don't know where. Oh, that, that uh, was he, he had not passed away at the point that uh, yeah. this episode. Oh, but, but hold on, but he lives in the other development, right? Oh, They've yeah, moved. that's right. So, that's right. Yeah, okay. no more Jack Compass. All right. Good riddance. So let's get into the mailbag. Uh, Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps is uh, where we get the questions. And uh, uh, we have a lot of questions to uh, get through. Some of them we touched on already. Johnny D. Silvera wrote in to add that Samuel Bliss Cooper, Elaine's boyfriend in The Wizard, is from the Hamptons. And he graduated from East Hampton High School. How about that? Yeah. Ding. Yeah, that's a good one. Good job by Johnny D. Uh, he also says that why does FDR stand up for himself to Kramer, but he's a pushover in front of George? Alex, would you say that FDR was a pushover in this episode? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure what what, what Johnny's referring to here. You know, FDR just sits there as, as George rattles on and on about hot dogs, but then he sort of says to him in, in sort of the nasty FDR attitude that we've come to expect from the backwards episode. He says, "Are you going to buy a hot dog or not?" But he doesn't seem to be pushed over by George, so I'm not sure. But I guess Johnny DeSilver wanted uh, wanted us to see uh, FDR throw a snowball at George. <laughs> yes, he wants. I would have enjoyed that. that also. By the way, uh, well, you forgot to mention of all the emailers, the only person to correctly address his email to Rob and me rather than Rob and Keeve was Johnny DeSilvera. He has good, great good attention job. to detail. Yes, excellent job. Okay, all right. Uh, what about Giovanni? So Giovanni says, seeing as all this episode is called The Wizard, has Akiva seen the movie called The Wizard? Uh, starring Fred Savage, Christian Slater, and Bo Bridges. So first of all, Giovanni, get with the program. We don't care about Akiva this week. Uh, but the movie was made in 1989, and so Akiva has definitely not seen it because he hasn't seen any movies from before the 90s, as we discussed on 32 Fans. There's another plug. Uh, so I'm going to say no, he hasn't, and I haven't even heard of this movie. Okay. Have you, Yes, Rob? I saw this. Oh. I actually saw this movie in the movie theater, and Whoa. the attraction for me is that The Wizard, it was a movie about, like, I think that Fred Savage is, like, the older brother of a kid who is, like, a Nintendo prodigy, and as a 11-year-old in 1989, and there was a movie where people were playing Nintendo, I guess this was as close as I was getting to Twitch in my lifetime, and I wanted to see a movie about people playing Nintendo unfortunately there was just not a lot of nintendo going on in the movie and it was kind of a drama so it was 26 percent on rotten tomatoes the the movie starts with a child being put in a mental institution so a little dark (laughs) yeah it's a little dark and uh you know i liked fred savage as well so fred savage and nintendo but ultimately uh this was uh not a super memorable film for me Okay. Okay. Lindsay wants to ask about what's the best and worst parts of retiring to Del Boca Vista? Well, I already wake up early, so I think I've got that done. I go to bed early. Uh, I don't know. I I don't see any downside. Uh, Maybe the mosquitoes? Yeah. The aqua size instructor is the best part to me. (laughs) Right. Weight room looks good. Uh, She also wants to know, in the era where they made Candy Crush into a TV show and a Battleship movie... 
Is the coffee table movie so hard to imagine? Uh, a few of our other emailers as well wanted to know, what would the plot for the coffee table movie be? Alex, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, would it be something like Jumanji where like the coffee tables come to life? Yeah, so I think it's probably an animated Pixar movie where I think, you know, the world is the furniture store. And, you know, everybody is like all of the cool furniture that people sit on and the coffee table just sort of just gets like picked on because it's shorter than everything else. And the coffee table wants to, uh, you know, graduate into something else. And so they want to they leave the furniture store. Uh, They go out and seeking a, a better life for itself but ultimately (laughs) they realize that the furniture store was where it's at and uh they end up trying to find their way back to the furniture store yeah the coffee table ties the room together and by the way if i was a piece of furniture you said you want to be a cool thing that people sit on like would you rather have butts on you all day or like a cup of coffee a hot cup of coffee scalding you (laughs) well somebody hopefully they uh if they respect wood Right. They use a coaster. <laughs> right. Right. So maybe there could be something with the coasters as well. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, like there's a lot of pieces of furniture. You wouldn't, you know, you don't want to be anything in a bathroom. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't want to be a bed. Cause you know, well, I guess maybe some people would want to be bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, so yeah, I don't know if being coffee would be so terrible. You know, you get to be, you get to watch TV all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it depends. Are you in like the, like the den or are you in like the more formal room? With, yeah, I guess it depends on the house. But Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know. um, Caleb from Atlanta has a question. Wants to know: Was the electronic organizer the prehistoric iPhone? Hashtag dumb millennial question. Well, I think that there's a few different evolutions that these things ended up taking on. So yeah, this is like the first generation of this sort of like pocket organizer. But the step in the middle ends up being the Palm Pilot, which is uh, another thing that was not a particularly useful device, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the organizer couldn't even connect to the Internet, notwithstanding Jerry's comment. Uh, you know, so it, so it wasn't for communication. It was just sort of to keep it was instead of having a notepad in your pocket, basically. Right. Yeah. But you then you then you draw, took stuff. The, there was a yeah, stylus. But, yeah. But the Palm Pilot had a, a few more features. And then obviously you get the pagers and cell phones where you can actually talk to other people. Mm-hmm, right. So I had a Palm Pilot around like 2001 and you could like connect it to the computer with like the uh, USB cable. But that being said, it, it, very limited functionality. There was not a lot of stuff that you could do. Like you could sort of like sync it to Outlook, but it would take like a long time to sync yeah. with that if you attached it with the wire. Uh, but Jerry seems to imply that the wizard has these features also. It doesn't. Jerry. So maybe the wizard is just a ripoff of the Palm Pilot. But it's not a Palm Pilot because it's not like I think the idea of the Palm Pilot is that it has like a stylus and like a yeah. big screen. I think this is just yeah. sort of like you can scroll through and see like your address book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what about Wes? What does he have to say? So Wes, new emailer. Uh, Wes says people mentioned Daryl's race, but never his age. To me, Jerry should have questioned Elaine for dating someone much younger than her. His age not being mentioned on the show has always bothered me. So, um, yeah. so we looked up that actor, Johnny DeSavar gave us his name. He's 11 years younger than Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And 11 years is probably smaller than the gap of a lot of Jerry's uh, the gap, girlfriends like on the, the show. Place where all the white people go? Yeah, exactly. So um, this actually led me, I thought when I saw this email, I should probably make a chart of every one of Jerry's girlfriends on the show. Oh, boy. But, um, and, you know, and one thing I could discover is, is the 11-year gap unusual? I would say probably not. Uh, you know, uh, there's no reason that uh, Elaine can, and this is Thirsty Lane. So Elaine will date anybody between the ages of 18 and 60. 
Yeah. 18 and 75. Hold on. She dated an old man in the show also. So. <laughs> she did. She so, did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, then uh, Wes says, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it was interesting that I, I did notice that immediately that this guy looks like he's 20 years old that Elaine is yeah. dating. This does seem like, and though she wouldn't date Vincent from the video store. Well, he was 12. <laughs> he was 12. Right. That's one thing that they never really tackled on Seinfeld. And I think that maybe if they would have done another season that they might have got there where Elaine actually does date like a, like a, a cougar Elaine storyline. Yeah. And Friends also copied, you know, Friends did that where uh, Courtney Cox is dating a guy who's in high school, which was sort of copying what Seinfeld did. But look. Uh, Daryl's old enough to buy his own uh, pornography and cigarettes and alcohol, and he's old enough to make $100,000, right? Yeah, so good for him. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, And then Wes says, P.S. I'm a new emailer, but I've been listening to since Rob's, quote, plutonic comment. The hardcore fans will know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't really know what he's talking about. Uh, I think that maybe (laughs) did I say plutonic instead of platonic at one point, Uh, but you'd have to, you know, send me a link to when we had a discussion about that. I mean, I I have to confess. I don't know either. Uh, Maybe Wes should host this podcast next week (laughs) instead of me. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. All right. Craig from Vancouver wants to ask us about why does George need to be told about the benefit for the foundation? He's the head of the foundation. Uh, he should have been informed of it already. Uh, we touched on this, that uh, he is not active anymore, right? Yeah. Once you uh, leave a recording device in the, in the meeting, I think they give you the boot. Yes. Uh, he also says that uh, the Gap has really fallen off the radar. When was the last time either of you went to the Gap? Um, yeah, you know, I don't know if the Gap specifically has fallen off the radar, but I do feel like that it is definitely in, uh, you know, as, as all retail stores are, I think probably is on the decline. Yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I was in the Gap or bought anything online at the Gap. Yeah. So, I mean, they're still in there, you know, go to any mall. There's still a, a gap in there and uh, they've got stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it's and, I, just- and by the way, I am looking just out of curiosity at their revenue for the last five years. And they've been more or less stable from stable. between 2013 and 2017. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know before 2013, obviously. This is only the last five years. We'll see, so, Chester. Yeah, their sales, their sales are between 15 and $16 billion a year. So somebody's buying things from the Gap. Somebody's buying stuff from the Gap. But, yeah. you know, as oh, more and more of these department stores close, then, uh, you know, next you're going to see, like, the, the Gaps and all those things. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then uh, what does Dan the Benefactor have to say? Okay, so Dan the Benefactor and actually Jared Jerome, uh, they both sent uh, sort of similar uh, questions. I'll read Jared's, actually, because uh, this is his first time emailer, I think. He was a former guest on 32 fans, actually. Jared also actually just this afternoon, he emailed me his rankings of every episode of Seinfeld ever. So I told him that I will uh, average it out with the other seven rankings I have uh, and accumulate it. But but Dan, the benefactor and Jared, they both want to know about the final scene uh, of of this episode. So as Jared says, the main point of George's storyline is he's mad at the Rosses for knowing he was lying to them and then not calling them out on it. So he purposely offers to drive them out to Hampton House. so They'll fess up to knowing he was lying and not take the trip with him. However, they out-George him and continue to play dumb and make him drive all the way to what seems like Montauk. George clearly knows that they know the entire time, getting angrier and angrier as the Rosses continue the ruse. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Okay, let's turn it up a notch, etc. Finally, when they stop the car at the end of Long Island and George has to admit he doesn't have a house, the Rosses say they knew and George goes nuts and acts like he didn't realize they knew he was lying the whole time. Right. But he knew they were lying the whole time. So why does he act shocked that they knew he was lying? This has always bothered me as it clearly goes against the plotline throughout the entire episode. 
Yeah, I mean, we've well, been uh, yeah. <laughs> touching on this. I mean, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know if he's shocked. He's just, he's angry with them because he's frustrated because he couldn't beat them. He tried to beat them. And as, as Jared said, they, they out George George and he doesn't like to be out George by anybody. Yeah, I get it that he's a little bit like, but why? Why did you go through yeah. this? Why did yeah. you do this to me? Don't you have a life? I don't have a life, but don't you people have a life? Right. Why did you make me go through these lengths? Okay. Uh, what about Amir? Uh, so Amir says, what possible reason would super wealthy Mr. And Mrs. Ross have to come to the coffee shop? Uh, you know, we discussed this already, but Joe DiMaggio, Sue Ellen Mischke, you know, there's a lot of rich, famous people who uh, hang on to the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Amir says, uh, even if Elaine was Hispanic, as Daryl thought, they still will not be an interracial couple. Federal policy defines Hispanic not as a race, but as an ethnicity. And it prescribes that Hispanics can be of any race. Uh, Amir, stop trying to out Chester Chester. I don't know what is, you know, <laughs> that's okay. my response to this. And finally... We a have new a, emailer. A new emailer to the show. Akiva Winokur wants to know, uh, first, Rob, how's the episode going without me? I think this went very well. Yeah. But Akiva's still welcome back next week, right? Yes. Yes. You know, the listeners would. Uh, yeah. One week they can tolerate. Yes. Well, we'll see about that. We'll see. Maybe they can. Great job to this point. <laughs> Did you know that, uh, like Daryl, Chester's family also left South Africa for obvious reasons? Uh, and uh, <laughs> did you know that? We already discussed this, Steve. Uh, get with the program. If you don't know what we're going to discuss beforehand, that's a criticism he's leveled at me for my emails. So. <laughs> Okay. Uh, next time, Akiva should be listening in via Skype, so he will know yes. what we've talked about by this point. Exactly. The Wizard reminds Akiva that one of the competing local private schools offered a Palm Pilot to each incoming freshman to try to get kids to attend the school. Yeah, that's insane to me. I don't know what kind of elitist Akiva is. What kind of neighbor does he live in where local private schools are giving kids free technology? That's like that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Doesn't I mean? Did you ever hear schools that were handing out Palm Pilots to kids for free? Uh, like. This isn't even a college. This is like a high school or an elementary school or something. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. Did it work? Did a lot of kids go in there for the Palm Pilot? I mean, that is well, Kiva some... didn't because he says it's a competing school. Yeah, so, so they were trying to get uh, kids to come in. Maybe a Game Boy, I think, would have been a better way to go. Yeah. By the way, it's such a scam when these private schools, like I know, like some colleges, oh, they'll give every kid an iPad when they join the school because they're charging thirty thousand dollars in tuition. So they're just going to increase tuition by six hundred bucks and then say it's free when they give it to you. You know, mm-hmm. so. I don't know how much a Palm Pilot costs or what the schools in Long Island are charging for tuition. They're they're expensive. Uh, And then finally, Akiva wants to know, what is the lamest piece of electronic equipment either of you guys ever own? I would say my co-ownership of a podcast with this loser. Uh, Oh, I'm trying to think of, uh, I mean, other than that Palm Pilot, you know, there, I can't think of anything uh, that terribly nerdy that I had that was sort of like cutting edge uh, in terms of technology. For my bar mitzvah, one of my uncles gave me uh, one of those watches. It was like the early ner- 90s where like yeah. you were supposed to like hold it up to your computer and it would scan or something. What? What does it do? Well, I, I, I'll tell you what it did. It didn't do anything. It didn't work. <laughs> but it, it, it was supposed to be like you went on your computer and you entered information on your computer, you know, your Macintosh or whatever in 1996. And then the, your computer would start flashing these weird lights, almost like a barcode. And you'd hold your watch up to the monitor and it was just to scan the information that it would get onto your watch or something like that. Yeah, this was like this is a smart watch 20 years ahead of its time, basically, and it did not work. 
Yeah. So, it but it like, looked incredibly nerdy. Oh, do you remember the, the calculator watches that people yeah, had? That's people the had nerdiest that, thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was very nerdy. No, I never had that either. But that <laughs> yeah. would have been good for Morty Seinfeld, although his fat fingers wouldn't have been able to uh, push the buttons on that. Yeah, those buttons must be very small. Yeah, I, I think I probably in my childhood wanted a lot of nerdy technology devices. And my parents just didn't buy them for me. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I got a Nintendo. I, what else did I have? You know, I, I wasn't getting anything too cool. I had the power so. pad. That was pretty nerdy. What's that? Uh, the thing that is sort of like you could do like track and field events on the Nintendo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There was also yeah, the would... power glove, which I also think did not work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which was sort of like a uh, Nintendo glove you could wear, which you could play like Mike Tyson's punch out with. But again, it did not work. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Technology has been much better. As Akiva says, uh, people who uh, these millennials don't know uh, how good they have it. Yeah. I have Google Cardboard. Oh, the the glasses? Yeah. Yeah, those are that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, so not that nerdy. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't afford a two hundred dollar whatever it is a VR headset. So the the Google Cardboard one works pretty well, I think. Yeah, pretty good. All right, uh, Chester, what's the hashtag? Ooh, I forgot to be keeping track of hashtags. Oh, uh, you blew it. Yeah. All right, I'm I'm done. Okay. Uh, uh, how about hashtag top ten Akivas? <laughs> all right, all right. Well, okay. Then uh, are you going to uh, regale us with your list of top ten Akivas? Uh, all right. Should I do so? All right. I'll do it quickly. All right. So uh, I'm going to give honorable mention to Akiva uh, Wiesinger, which okay. I don't know who that is. Uh, I have 18 mutual friends with him on Facebook. <laughs> I just thought I liked how his name was very similar. Did part Akiva. of the search include uh, looking up Akivas on Facebook? <laughs> Well, the, uh, clearly that one did. I was trying to find someone with a similar name as possible to Akiva Wieneker, who may or may not be in this list. So uh, number 10. And again, this is my personal list. So these are the Akivas that have really had a positive impact on my life. Okay. So uh, number 10 is is Tadahiro Akiva, who uh, played for the Japanese national soccer team in the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. Okay. Uh, number nine is Akiva Shah, uh, a female character who appeared in the fictional universe of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> I had to dig deep to find 10 Akivas. Number eight is Kenya Akiva, who's a member of the Japanese House of Representatives for the Liberal Democratic Party. So I imagine uh, Trump is no fan of Kenya Akiva. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number seven is Akiva Rubinstein, who was a Polish chess grandmaster before World War I. Number six is Akiva Goldsman, who wrote A Time to Kill and The Client and a bunch of other great movies. Uh, He won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. So what you're saying is that this could have been a top five Akiva list. (laughs) We could have had it even shorter. Number five is... Tadadoshi Akiva, who was the mayor of Hiroshima from 1999 to 2011, um, the mayor of Hiroshima. Um, upon discovering that uh, Akiva Wienerker shared the same name as the mayor of Hiroshima, he said, this is the greatest tragedy to ever befall our city. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, um, yeah, number four, uh, we still have a couple of uh, prominent Akivas left. So let's see where they appear in our list. Number four is uh, Rebbe Akiva Eger, who was a great European rabbi in the 18th century. Number three is Akiva Schaefer, who's, uh, you know, the underrated, uh, you know, one of the guys. Uh, in, um, in Lonely Island. Number two is Akiva Yaglam, who was a physicist and a groundbreaking researcher in the fields of probability theory and turbulence. So this is a guy who's really had a positive effect on my life. And of course, the number one Akiva in my life, my favorite Akiva, is uh, the only Akiva I haven't mentioned that I, that I, don't, that I don't despise. That's Rebbe Akiva, who was a great Jewish scholar, uh, one of the greatest uh, Jewish leaders in history. So that's it. I've mentioned every uh, good Akiva that's ever lived. Wow, you were doing so well for an hour and 30 minutes on the podcast. <laughs> Had to end it as a troll. I know. <laughs> By the way, uh, the word Akiva in Swahili means savings. 
There you go. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, we had a real Akiva of, uh, no Akivas in this episode. Okay. So, um, but we'll, but he'll be back next week. All right. He will be back, uh, to <laughs> talk about all his adventures, uh, around the world and obviously, uh, weigh in on how he thought you did on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you guys have coming up on the 32 fans podcast? Just still more, uh, quarterback countdowns? Yes, we got. So uh, on Monday, we will release the, the top 33 quarterbacks of all time. The uh, the final of the of the trilogy of that series. And then on Tuesday, we will be releasing our first episode of 32 episodes to come in this month. So we're really uh, going to be dropping one or even so two episodes really a day it this year. You're really yeah, go- well, you're really going for it. Well, I mean, we've done it in we've done it every year. We did it in 2015. We yeah, did but last year, didn't you so. do like episodes that it was like, all right, we'll talk to four people. In yeah, one. we yeah. we combine. Yeah, we did divisions. So we did eight episodes. This year, we're going to try and do them separate. You know, they might be mini-sodes because uh, also, instead of like bending over backwards to make everyone's schedule, we, we got a little bit smarter. We made our own schedule. We emailed it to, to the people who we want as guests. And we said, hey, fill in your spot on this slot. Uh, so it might not be that all 32 can make it, but uh, if somebody can't make it, that's fine. Akiva and I will discuss that team. But uh, we, will, we will have at least, you know, half or more of the teams uh, previewed. So if you uh, want to hear uh, a local expert uh, tell you about how his NFL team is going to do this year, Join 32 fans in the next uh, 32 days. Okay, there you go. All right, and uh, you'll be breaking down all of the big NFL trades. Yeah, there's wide receivers flying into Buffalo, flying out of Buffalo. It's all happening. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, Alex, uh, great job on the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much. This, this was I, a lot of fun. I thought this was very, was uh, pretty seamless uh, today. So good to know if anything you know should happen to Akiva if he's detained <laughs> in any of his stops. Uh, we could at least finish the run. You could follow the great Alexander Chester on Twitter. He is at achester99. Yep. What's the 99 stand for? What is that like? Uh, a, a, a memorable year for you? Uh, no, although I did rank uh, all 34 years of my life a couple of years ago because somebody asked me to make that chart. <laughs> it so was just, you know, w- w- when you had to make uh, screen names, you know, back in the mid 90s on, on AOL Instant Messenger, mm-hmm. you know, A. Chester was taken and by, by a woman named Angela Chester in Tennessee, actually, I remember. Uh, just like Keeve, you know, Keeve 26 on Twitter, Akiva wanted to be the original Keeve. And I actually tried to get it for him for his birthday. I tried to bribe uh, the 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 Keeve, just K E E V, but uh, she, she wasn't birthday. budging. Right? Yeah, I was going to give him that Twitter handle for his birthday, but she wasn't budging. So so uh, no, nobody nobody tweet at her. Leave her alone. But uh, she does not want to give up her 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 handle. So Hester was taken in 1995 on AOL, and so ever since then I just stick with H uh, Hester 99. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, great stuff. Big thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who uh, does the editing of the Simon Post Show recap, and to Mike Moore, who writes up our weekly episode recaps. Uh, what's next on the podcast? Do you know? So the next episode on Seinfeld will be after this week's episode is The Burning. Okay. The Burning. Yeah. We only have five episodes left before the uh, finale. Okay. So it's all coming together here as we get into the home stretch of the Seinfeld Post Show Recap. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about the Chester episode on PostShowRecaps.com. Take care of everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.